breakthrough. Yay! Today we start a brand new series called Breakthrough, where we're going to take a look at six miracles over these next six weeks. And if you know anybody who needs a miracle in their life, that needs a breakthrough, who needs hope, I want to encourage you to invite them to our online service. Because the reality is this. We all need hope. We can, we can live weeks without food. We can live days without air, or I should say days without water. We can live minutes without air. But you and I can't live one single second without hope. You need hope to cope. Hope is what keeps our souls alive, that enables us to break through barriers that we've been facing maybe for a long time in our life. Now, the reality is most people don't understand what hope is. They, they think that hope is wishful thinking or that hope is something about themselves, that they trust in themselves, or that hope is optimism. Optimism isn't hope. Optimism is psychological. Hope is theological. Optimism is what you think you can do. Hope is what you know God can do. Optimism oftentimes is not grounded in reality, whereas hope is real. It says, you know what, it is really, really, really bad, but I believe that God is in control. Some of us during this pandemic time, folks, we've been going through a tough time. Economically, things are down. Maybe you lost your job during this pandemic season. Some of you have maybe experienced a rough marriage. Uh, you started out with nights and roses, and now it's turned into daylight and dishes. Some of you maybe have lost a loved one during this time. And you couldn't come together and, and honor them the way you would have liked. Others of us have had maybe our dreams just been pulled out from under us because we started that business and now you can't even open it. Or maybe your finances are going down. Regardless of what barrier is in front of you, you need hope. And so you might be thinking, nothing's going to change. I'm not going to change. It's not going to change. Nothing is going to be different. Where do you get hope when life has let you down? Well, if you are a follower of Christ, the greatest breakthrough that gives you the ultimate hope is the resurrection. It is the most important event in human history. Nothing is more important. Nothing is more hopeful. Nothing helps us turn a, a brick wall, a, a dead end in our life into opportunities. Today, we're going to start this series, and we're going to take a look at six miracles, like I said, and it's going to focus on you and I being hopeful for the future. The Bible says the reason we need hope is because we live in a broken world, and I think we all understand that as a result of this pandemic. Nothing works correctly. The weather isn't working right. The economy isn't working right. Our health system isn't working right. Our government isn't working right. Relationships, they don't work right. Families don't work right. Everything in our world is broken. Because of sin, everything is out of order. 
And all you have to do is look around in order to see it. Brokenness is everywhere. And so where do you find hope? Well, you first have to go through the greatest and the biggest breakthrough ever. The resurrection. Read 1 Peter 1, 21. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, your faith and hope can be placed confidently in God. The reason most people do not live with hope is because they have placed their hope in the wrong thing or they've placed it in the wrong person. If you put your hope in the wrong thing, if you put it in success or status or salary or success, if you put your hope in position or power or prestige or popularity or some person, every one of those things will disappoint you. You've got to put your hope into something that isn't going to change, and that is God and his love and commitment to you. Now, a lot of times... When we think of the resurrection and giving us hope, we think of the events leading up to it, but we don't realize that there was a lot of things that happened after it. After the resurrection, Jesus hung around for six weeks showing himself to literally hundreds and hundreds and thousands of people. Today, I want us to focus in on three people to help each and every one of us to understand that we matter to God. With whatever wall we're facing that we are wanting to break through, whether it be personal or economically or economical or health-wise, whatever it is, you matter to God and he wants to give you hope. The first person that Jesus revealed himself to after the resurrection was not one of the 12, but rather it was a woman, Mary Magdalene. And will you write this down? I want you to take good notes because you can refer back to this. Mary felt hopeless because of a loss. Now she has a unique story. All of her life, all Mary wanted was to be loved. And there's nothing wrong with wanting to be loved. Folks, every one of us in this room, as we're watching this video, wants to be loved. We want to be respected. We want to be valued. We want, we want to be treated with dignity. We want to know that that other person really cares about us. All Mary ever wanted in her life was to be loved. But she looked for it in all the wrong places, with all the wrong people. And as a result, it left her hurt. It left her abused and misused by men. And in fact, you might say she was unlucky at love because she went from one relationship to the next relationship to the next relationship. And she just couldn't figure it out. What in the world am I doing wrong? All the men in her life broke her heart until one day she meets Jesus who treats her with respect, who treats her with dignity, who treats her with care and love. She is loved by him 
in ways that she has never been loved before. She has been loved unconditionally, regardless of her faults, failures, and fumbles. Jesus treats her with care. He treats her with respect, with dignity. And he not only loved her, period, he liberated her. He set her free from her hurts and her habits and her hang-ups. He set her free from her addictions and her abuses. And so when Jesus is crucified, although all the disciples had left Jesus and weren't at the cross except for one, John, the beloved, the only ones that were there were women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Salome, the aunt of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. And on Sunday, after Jesus was crucified and buried, Mary goes to the tomb to anoint Jesus. It's early in the morning, and it's dark. And here's her story. Mary Magdalene stood crying outside the tomb. While she was still crying, she bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels dressed in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she answered, they've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. Then she turned around and saw a man standing there, but she didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Woman. Why are you crying? And Jesus asked her, Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the carpenter. So she said to him, If you took him away, sir, tell me where you have put his body, and I will go and get him. Then Jesus simply said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and said in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And then Mary ran and found the disciples and said, I have seen the Lord. Jesus asked Mary two very important questions. Why are you crying and what are you looking for? Why are you crying? Folks, it ought to be pretty obvious. She was grieving. And she was grieving because she was in the dark. And when I say in the dark, she wasn't just in the dark physically. She was in the dark spiritually. She didn't know about the resurrection and she was unaware of the fact that Jesus was standing right next to her. He was standing right next to her. And when you are grieving, a lot of times you don't notice that Jesus is close because your vision is cloudy. You don't see clearly and you don't think clearly. It limits your perspective. And grief or the loss of clarity, that can come from a loss of a job or the loss of a spouse or a family member or the loss of a relationship, regardless of what the loss might be, your vision is cloudy. And in this story, Jesus was standing right next to Mary. 
she was asking, where are you, God? Where are you? And that oftentimes happens when we suffer a loss in our life. Folks, the same is true for you. When you experience a loss, you don't often see clearly. You don't often think clearly. You don't realize that he's there. Mary is feeling hopeless. She's saying, it's over, it's dead, it's done. Let's just put a fork in it. But Jesus changes everything in one word. He doesn't lecture her. He doesn't give her a sermon. He says one word to her, and it changes everything. He says her name, Mary. Folks, I've experienced that in my own life with my wife. I know my wife's voice. And there are times that all she has to say is, George. And I go, yes. Sometimes she says, George. And I go, yes. Now sometimes she adds a phrase to it. George, will you make the bed? And I say, who are you? <laughs> My point is this. Mary knew Jesus' voice. And when he said her name, he was saying, and she knew this, it's me. I know who you are. I know you by name. I know your hurts. And I care. And I can do something about it. That all transpired in one word, Mary. Folks, Jesus Christ is the same for you. I don't know what you are going through, but Jesus knows. He says, I know who you are. I know your name. And I know what's hurting you right now. And I care, and I can do something about it. I can create a breakthrough. The first thing that I want you to note in this series, I want you to carry this in your mind throughout this series. It is this, will you write this down? It's never too late for a breakthrough. It's never too late, even if that wall seems impenetrable. You can have a breakthrough. Even death itself can't prevent it. The Bible says in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible for people to do is possible for God. What is it in your life that, that you're saying, it's over, it's done, Put a fork in it. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. When you hear yourself think, you know, it's impossible. You need to have one ear to heaven and listen for laughter because the Bible is pretty clear. Nothing is impossible for God. Like I said, I don't know what you're going through right now. But I want to ask you the same two questions that Jesus asked Mary. What are you grieving over? 
And what are you looking for? What are you grieving over? What has caused you to be disappointed? What has caused you to be sad? What has caused grief in your soul? What is the big loss in your life that when you think about it, you get down to be do down down? A job? A relationship? A marriage? A health issue? What are you looking for? What do you think is going to meet that need? What do you think is going to make you happy? What do you think is going to take away that pain or going to fill that hole that is in your heart? If it is anything besides God, I want to submit to you respectfully that you will be disappointed again. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you are going through, regardless of what you have done, regardless of who you've done it with or how many times you've done it, Jesus says to you, like Mary, I know who you are. I know your name. I care. And I can create a breakthrough in your life. I can be your healer. Now, after Jesus' death, folks, none of his disciples got it. No one understood, though for three years, Jesus walked with them, and he spoke that he was going to be crucified, that he would die on a cross, but that, don't worry, three days later, I'm going to come back. But they didn't get it. And so when these disciples saw Jesus being crucified, tried and then crucified, they weren't just disappointed. They were demoralized. They were devastated. They were defeated. They're thinking, what in the world is going on? Their heads and minds were spinning. We thought he was our deliverer out of the Roman Empire. But now their dream is busted. One out of the 12 disciples that was thinking this way was a guy named Thomas. I like Thomas because he is, was an honest doubter. Will you write this down? Thomas felt hopeless because of his fear and his doubt. Now I want you to understand something. Doubt is not necessarily a bad thing. Doubt is a good thing. Doubt is good. Because it can cause you to pursue truth. You see, Thomas wasn't one who believed everything. He was an intelligent person like ourselves. And when he hears the news about Jesus being crucified and being buried, and then hearing that he was resurrected, he he thought, really? 
Even though he'd walked with him for three years and heard about the, the, the crucifixion and resurrection, he said, you know what? I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And like I said, that's not a bad thing. Because in essence, he's saying, I want a little bit of proof. Folks, a little bit of proof for our faith is good. God says that's okay. And so there's nothing wrong with Thomas. Now the Bible picks up Thomas's story in John chapter 20, where the disciples are in a room and Jesus shows up, okay? These disciples are together. They are supporting each other. And that is important. When you are going through some kind of uh, a crisis where it seems like it's a wall and you can't seem to break through it, folks, you need community. I don't care whether you get that community in this pandemic in, in a socially uh, uh, practical, safe way or whether you get it virtually. Whatever way you choose to get it, folks, you need community. But Thomas wasn't there when Jesus first showed up to the disciples. And if you study Thomas's life, he was a loner. He wasn't the guy's guy. He didn't like to hang out with the guys. He was more of an intellect who liked to be by himself. He was more of an introvert. But the Bible tells us in John 20, 19 and following this about Thomas. That evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid. Fear imprisons. I talk with a lot of people who say, well, I'm not afraid, but boy, you can see it on their face. You can hear it in their words about what they are constantly talking about. You can, you can hear it in their expressions about, is there even going to be a future? I hear this about the church. Folks, the church is going to survive universally, and may I say this? And so is LifePoint. LifePoint is doing great. Our online services are skyrocketing. People are beginning to come back to church as they, begin to as they are beginning to trust God and feel like it's safe for them. LifePoint is going to survive. But fear keeps you in prison. And that's what was happening with these disciples. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you. And he showed them his side. They were all filled with joy when they saw their Lord. But one of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands. Put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, locked uh, were, uh, again, and the doors were locked. But suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He said, peace be with you. Then he said, Thomas, look at my hands and put your finger here. Then put your hands into the wound in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus said, you believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyway. There's a couple of things I really like about this. 
And the first one is that Jesus doesn't criticize Peter for doubting, for being filled with fear. Like I said, doubt is a good thing if it drives you to the truth. However, if doubt causes you to be arrogant, to be filled full of pride, to be stubborn, to be prejudiced, folks, that's not doubt. That's ego. Doubt says, I don't know what's going on. Right now, I'm not even seeing God in this. Uh, right now, I, I, I don't hear God speaking to me with all that's going on, but I am open to it. I'm open for God to speak to me truth. Doubt is a good thing if it drives you to truth. And so Jesus doesn't put Thomas down. He doesn't scold him. He doesn't give him a sermon. He doesn't give him a lecture. He just says, here's the proof, Thomas. Look at my hands. Put your hand in my side. I'm the real thing. I'm no ghost. I'm alive. And Thomas, though he was eight days late, says, my Lord and my God. Here's the second thing I want you to get in this series as we take a look at breakthroughs that we all need in our life to give us hope. It's this. Will you write this down? It's never too late to start believing. You may be five. You may be 50. You may be 150. You may have gone to church your whole life. You may never have gone to church. You may, have only, go, you may only go to church twice a year, Easter, Christmas, and Easter. Guess what? It's never too late to believe. Now, here's the deal. The reason that we oftentimes doubt when we're facing a barrier, whether we can get through that or not, is because we don't understand how God tests our faith by taking us through six phases. As I work with young pastors, I mention this all the time. I want you to get this. The first phase of a dream, and it is a test, is what I call the dream phase. It's where God gives you a dream. He begins speaking into your mind, into your heart, into your soul. And you begin to think, is this really of God? It is a test. But nothing happens until God gives you a dream. In fact, nothing is more powerful than a dream because nothing happens until you do start dreaming. And I hope you're dreaming of using whatever barrier, wall that's before you for the glory of God. The second phase is the decision phase. This is where you have to decide to get off your blessed assurance and do something. And that is a test of faith because you have to begin thinking, do I have the resources to begin fulfilling this dream? What is it that I have to face, that I have to wrestle with in order to fulfill it? Folks, that is a test of faith. The third phase is the delay phase, and there is always delay in a dream because God is more interested in your character than he is in your comfort, in you fulfilling the dream. The fourth one is difficulty, and there is always difficulty 
with a dream. Wow, you got a barrier. You're furloughed. No money is coming in. And then someone has a wreck with the car, a problem. Or someone has a health crisis and no income, a problem. Folks, there are all kinds of problems that oftentimes come as you have this dream of breaking through. The fifth one is a dead end. And what is a dead end? That's when it looks like it's over. The deal isn't going to come through. The job isn't going to be offered. The wedding isn't going to occur. The baby isn't going to arrive. But if you are at that place, if you are at a dead end, congratulations, because you're ready for a breakthrough. And that is deliverance. That's the sixth phase. God can turn crucifixions into resurrections. He can turn death into life. If he can turn a dead body into a live body, he can surely take a dead marriage or a dead career or a dead family. And boy, it's sure looking dead because a lot of things have been exposed during this crisis time. He can turn it into life. Folks, I can't think of anything more important during this season that we're in than reading your Bibles. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. You and I, we need to be in God's Word. And not only that, we need to be in community, whether that be physical with the right parameters or whether that be virtually. Remember Thomas why he doubted because he wasn't there the first time Jesus shows up for his disciples. He got there eight days later. Folks, he was a loner. And so he had a hard time believing. My point is this. God never meant for you to go through a crisis by yourself. Never. He never meant for you to go through difficulty or delay or a dead end by yourself. God uses people in our lives to answer the most fundamental questions of life. Where's God in all of this? Why is God silent? Why does life seem so unfair? A number of years ago, I went through a book by Philip Yancey. One of my CEOs loves Philip Yancey. Called Disappointed with God. A lot of times we're disappointed, and as we are, we don't realize that God's disappointed. In the same vein, a lot of times we're waiting on God, and we don't realize God's waiting on us. That he's wanting us to go in a different direction. Take a look at 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't late with his promise as some measure lateness. He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to perish, so he gives more time for everyone to repent. As you look at the world that we live in, with what is going on around the world, with what is going on right here within our own borders of America, it's easy to think, you know what, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. 
God, why aren't you doing something? God, why don't you stop this? What are you waiting for, God? What's the big delay? God, are you unfair? And while we are waiting, God is waiting on us to go in a new direction. And the Bible calls that repentance, which means a change of mind. It means the turning of your mind. It means to go in 180 degrees, the opposite direction in which you are going. It is where you say, God, I've been trying it my way, and guess what? Now I'm going to turn and I'm going to try it your way. And though life is unfair, God, I know as I change, my world will change. The Bible says that when you and I do that, we get new hope. That's what happens. That is why I believe Jesus is the, is the ultimate breaker of life, the, the, the ultimate wall breaker. He, he's the altar. The resurrection is the ultimate breaker, breakthrough in life because he can change you and me to go in a new direction. And what happens when we do that? When we say, God, I'm going to go in your direction. Our past is forgiven. He gives us a purpose for living in the present. And he assures us that we have a place in the future in heaven with him. Folks, that's what God wants to do for you. And all you have to say is, God, I want to go your way. Now, there is another person that needed a breakthrough, and that is Simon Peter. This disciple is the most famous of all Jesus' disciples, and you have to like Peter. He is unbelievably nice. He is lovable. He is enthusiastic. He is energetic. He is a risk taker, okay? He's the one that jumped out of the boat, okay? When Jesus said, yeah, come on, Peter. He was a great risk taker. But with every entrepreneur, Peter got overconfident. And so he said, Jesus, I'll never deny you. Jesus, I'll, I'll die for you, okay? I'll do anything for you, Jesus. And of course, he did deny him. He denied him three times. Now this didn't surprise Jesus. Because when Peter declared his full allegiance for his Lord and Savior, Jesus said to him, Peter, before this night is over with, you're going to deny me three times. But don't worry about it. I'm going to pray for you, okay? And when you get through this, you're going to come back and you are going to love your brothers. And that's exactly what happened. At Jesus' trial, Peter denies Jesus three times. And when he does, the rooster crows, signaling that the end of night, signaling the end of night and the beginning of a new day. And when Peter hears that rooster crowing, he realizes. He's blown it. He realizes he has flops, failures, and fumbles in his life, and he is devastated 
by them. He is filled with grief and shame and regret. Just like you and I would be if our our flops, failures, and fumbles were put on a screen. We would feel shame. We would feel regret. We would feel guilt. Mary was hope. Mary felt hopeless because of her loss. Thomas felt hopeless because of his fear and doubts. Peter felt hopeless, folks, because of his guilt and his shame. He thought he would never, ever be able to be forgiven by God. But Jesus wasn't silent. Jesus had some words for Peter that created a breakthrough in his life. And we find them in John 21. Let me read this. Later Jesus appeared again to the disciples by the Sea of Galilee. This was the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples since he had been raised from the dead. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than those than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then then feed my lambs. Jesus told him. And then Jesus repeated the question. Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep. And Jesus said, then, Jesus said, then he asked him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, do you really love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. What is this all about? Well, first understand this, that when when God asks a question, folks, he already knows the answer. Jesus asked Peter that question, do you love me, three times, because he wanted Peter to know that he loved him. Peter denied Jesus three times. And so what Jesus is doing is he is helping Peter to reaffirm his love for him. Folks, when you come to God with your flops and your failures and your fumbles, when you come to him with your sins, he doesn't rub it in. He rubs it out. He he doesn't scold you. He doesn't lecture you. He doesn't give you a sermon. He's not mad at you. He is mad about you. And he tells Peter three times, feed my sheep. What is he doing? He's helping Peter to see that if he's going to reaffirm his love for him, that it must be demonstrated outwardly with his love for the church, for God's people. And do you want to know something? God gives you that same opportunity. He gives you an opportunity to love him back through loving his church. And when I say that, I'm not just talking about the universal church. I'm talking 
about the local church. Mary was filled with hopelessness due to her loss. Thomas was filled with hopelessness due to his fear and doubt. And Peter was filled with his hopelessness because of his guilt and his shame. And Jesus gave him an opportunity to reaffirm his love by loving the church. All three of these individuals had a breakthrough in their life because of the greatest breakthrough of history, the resurrection. And as a result, their lives were transformed. They were transformed by the hope of the resurrection. How about you? Will you write this down? I want you to carry this with you throughout these next five weeks as we take a look at five other breakthroughs, five other miracles that will give you hope in this season of life that we are all in. And it's this, it's never too late for a fresh start. God wants to give you a fresh start. This week I was thinking about this building that we are in that God is beginning to fill up with people. Slowly but surely. As we still reach a lot of people virtually in our world. Lots. I was thinking about how this building was built in the shape of a diamond. I was thinking about baseball. And how with baseball, there's no perfect player. No one bats a thousand. No one <laughs> makes no errors. Nobody, uh, you know, strike. No, nobody uh, ha has no strikeouts. Everybody makes mistakes. And yet with baseball, there's no clock. You can come to the ninth inning with two outs, count three balls and two strikes, and the pitcher can throw what might be the, the last pitch, and yet it can change the whole game if you hit it. It's never too late, never, for a breakthrough. It's never too late to believe God for a breakthrough. And it's never too late to have a fresh start. I want to close with this verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Whenever anyone puts their total trust in Christ, they become a completely new person they aren't the same anymore. The old way of living disappears. <laughs> There's a breakthrough. They get a fresh start and a brand new life. Are you needing a new start, a fresh start? I'm going to ask you right now. If you've never committed your life to Christ... 
though you know of the resurrection, maybe now you need to drop him from your head into your heart. And I want you to follow me in this prayer. And if you prayed this prayer, I want you to text New Start to 94,000 and let me know that you've prayed this prayer. New Start to 94,000. Will you pray this prayer? God, right now, I need a breakthrough. For so long, God, I have just had you as a thought in my mind. But now I am at a wall and I don't see a way around it, over it. God, I definitely don't see a way through it. But today, God, I know that you are the God of breakthroughs because you conquered death itself. If you prayed that, just say, God, I agree with that. And right now, I want to drop you from my head into my heart I want to believe you that you are who you said you are and that you're going to give me a brand new life and a new start and if you agree with that just say God I agree with that let me know let me know that you've started a new life by texting New Start at 94,000. God, I just thank you that you are the God of new beginnings. That with you, there aren't just one or two chances. That you are the God of three and four and five and ten and a thousand different chances. That you never, ever give up on us that you love us, that you're committed to us, that you just want us to be in a position to believe you, that you are the God of breakthroughs. And so God, with that, we look forward to the future. All the things that you're gonna teach us about miracles and how we can experience them in our life for our lives and through our lives for your glory God and for other people's good in your son's name we pray amen